everyone. I'm Ray Bella, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a monthly donation at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Alonso for his recent contribution. You can also make a one-time donation to support the show at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. I'd like to let everyone know that on June 27th, I'll be speaking at this year's Intelligent Speech Conference, which, due to COVID-19, will be held online. I'll be having a conversation with Kevin Stroud of the History of English podcast on one of my favorite topics, the Proto-Indo-Europeans. The lineup is packed with great educational podcasters, so if you want to learn more and purchase a ticket, you can go to intelligentspeechconference.com. I've posted a link in the show notes. All right, let's get on to today's show, the seventh and final part in a series on the evolution of English idioms. I'm going to start this episode with a long quote from an unlikely source. Let's hear the quote first and then discuss its context. Quote, Since England is so old and small, they started running out of places to bury people. So they started digging up some coffins and would take their bones to a house and reuse the grave. They started opening these coffins and found that some had scratch marks on the inside. One out of 25 coffins were that way, and they realized they had still been burying people alive. So they thought they would tie a string on their wrist and lead it through the coffin and up through the ground and tie it to a bell. Someone would have to sit out in the graveyard all night to listen for the bell. That is how the saying, graveyard shift, was made. If the bell would ring, they would know that someone was saved by the bell, or he was a dead ringer. End quote. As you might be able to tell, this quote is not taken from a great work of literature. It's taken from a chain email entitled, Life in the 1500s, that began circulating in April of 1999. The email is totally a hoax, And as far as I can tell, it's single-handedly responsible for spreading the now-popular folk etymologies associated with the idioms dead ringer, saved by the bell, and graveyard shift. The Life in the 1500s chain letter also contains a chock-full of other deliberately inaccurate historical claims, my favorite of which are, quote, Brides used to carry a bouquet of flowers on their wedding day to hide their B.O., end quote, and that wakes for the deceased are so-called because families used to wait around a coffin for a few days to see if their loved ones would wake from the dead. Anyway, dead ringer is an idiom that means an exact look-alike, and while it does contain the word dead, neither its current nor its historical usages ever had anything to do with death, let alone being buried alive. We'll explore what the dead in dead ringer means in just a bit. The reason I started with Dead Ringer's folk etymology is because, in spite of being instigated by a chain email written over 20 years ago, it seems to have caught on in the popular imagination. When I told a friend of mine that I was doing a series about idioms on my podcast, she asked if I'd done an episode on Dead Ringer. I said, no, to which she replied, well, you should, citing the aforementioned story as great material for an episode. I actually hadn't heard the story before, but having done this podcast for as long as I have, I immediately assumed it was false, and I was right. 
However, while I was doing my preliminary research, I encountered my friend's folk etymology on various bogus etymology websites, indicating that she wasn't alone in her misinformation. I pried a bit further and found the life in the 1500s chain email. While the letter is clearly a prank, I nonetheless wondered if there was a shred of plausibility in these folk etymologies for Dead Ringer, Graveyard Shift, and Saved by the Bell, or if they were just capricious inventions. As it turns out, safety coffins were a real thing. At the height of the cholera epidemic in the 16 and 1700s, the fear of being buried alive became widespread, and this led to the invention of coffins with a variety of devices, such as bells, pyrotechnics, ropes, flags, ladders, and more, all of which were designed to help a potentially living person escape their premature burial. However, most of these designs failed to incorporate a way of getting oxygen into the coffin, and in spite of many patented designs over the centuries, there's no recorded evidence of a safety coffin ever having saved someone's life. So, safety coffins might have been a real thing, but that doesn't exactly lend credibility to the folk etymologies suggested by the Life in the 1500s hoax. Like I already mentioned, safety coffins became popular in the 16 and 1700s, not the 1500s. While the etymology of graveyard shift isn't known for sure, the etymologies of Saved by the Bell and Dead Ringer have well-established histories. The idiom graveyard shift, meaning work performed during the late night and early morning, became popular at the beginning of the 20th century, probably as a metaphor for the delirium, loneliness, and inactivity of working after hours, and the idiom saved by the bell, meaning saved by a last-minute intervention, derives from American boxing. In a round of boxing, a bell is rung to signal that time is up, so a boxer close to losing a round might be saved by the bell. The phrase first appears in 1893 in a literal reference to a boxer who was saved by the bell, and by the early 20th century, the phrase had caught on as an idiom in the language at large. So, what about Dead Ringer? Like Saved by the Bell, coincidentally, Dead Ringer is also an idiom that entered the language via sports. Dead Ringer, which again means an exact look-alike, is an idiom that comes down to us from horse racing. Conmen would sometimes rig horse races by swapping out one racehorse with a faster racehorse who looked similar, thus disrupting the odds of winning, and these stand-in horses were known as ringers. This sense of the word is first recorded in an 1882 article in the Canadian publication Manitoba Free. It reads, quote, a horse that is taken through the country and trotted under a false name and pedigree is called a ringer. End quote. But why? The word ringer dates back to the early 15th century and was used originally to describe, as you might expect, a person who rang church bells. By the 17th century, ringer had become slang for something fraudulent, as in the passage we just read. But to understand that semantic development, we have to consider the derivative expression, ring the changes. When a ringer rang the changes, they rang the church bells in a different sequence than usual, thus changing the usual melody. In time, this expression would become an idiom in itself that meant, and still means, to employ alternative methods. In the 18th century, 
Ring the Changes developed a second set of slang idiomatic meanings involving money duping, most commonly to exchange real money for counterfeit money. It also meant to trick a clerk into giving you too much change, often by asking for smaller denominations of larger bills and then distracting them while they're counting it. This sense of ring the changes referring to counterfeit money was eventually shortened to ring in, an idiom that still exists today, predominantly in Australian English, that means to substitute an imposter. From ring the changes, the noun phrase ringer of changes emerged, referring to the person responsible for an illicit substitution. An 1858 issue of American Freemason reads, quote, He knew what dummies meant, as well as the most expert cracksman or ringer of changes in town. End quote. By the 1880s, this expression had been shortened to simply ringer. When this shortened form first appeared in the context of horse racing, it still referred to the person responsible for ringing the changes, as in this excerpt from an 1877 issue of The Spirit of the Times. Quote, While Hicks and co. were engaged in the laudable cause of exposing the iniquitous ringers in Boston, they should not have overlooked Dolly Davis, a.k.a. Easter Maid, by Almont and her performances near Boston. End quote. Apparently, Dolly Davis and Easter Maid were the same horse raced under different names. By the early 1880s, the meaning of ringer had shifted from a person who substitutes one thing for another to the substituted thing itself. This sense of ringer meaning a substitute still exists today in some specialized usages. In sports, a ringer is an athlete who is subbed into a game to give a team a specific advantage. I've also heard the term used in the music business. You might hire ringers for a studio recording session or a live performance in order to make a mediocre songwriter or an orchestra sound better. I'm not sure if this expression is common outside of the U.S., but in American English, a ringer is the name for a car that has had its vehicle identification number swapped out for that of another car. Before researching this episode, I hadn't realized that any of these senses of the word ringer were connected but they are. Knowing this background, it's easy to see why an illegally substituted racehorse would be called a ringer. But none of these horses were dead. So where do we get dead ringer from? The sense of dead in dead ringer has nothing to do with mortality. It's merely used here as an emphatic intensifier, meaning something like very, extremely, or completely. We actually use dead as an intensifier in a lot of idioms and sayings, such as dead center, dead heat, dead drunk, dead set, dead on, and dead serious, among others. In some regions of the UK, dead is used as a common intensifier even outside of idioms. If we look at some of these idioms closely, we can actually draw some connections between dead as an intensifier and death itself. Dead center, first attested in 1836, originally referred to the middle stationary part of a rotary, gear, or other machinery. It was called dead because it didn't move. If you're dead set on something, first attested in 1843, your opinion is probably immovable, and a dead body can't move very much either. Dead on, first attested in 1889, was originally marksman's slang for hitting your prey, which of course would cause it to die. But 
may be drawing these connections between dead as an intensifier and death is a red herring. You'll note that the examples I cited all emerged in the 19th century, but the OED actually attests dead as an intensifier, meaning utter, absolute, quite, certain, sure, or unerring, in as early as the 16th century, and then as exact or precise by the 18th century. This is just my guess, but maybe this usage emerged because death is certain and absolute. As we saw, the first appearance of ringer, meaning a look-alike, referred to a horse that had been illegally substituted into a race for another similar-looking horse. But the first appearance of dead ringer appears in an 1888 issue of Oshkosh Weekly Times that quotes a drunk man talking about a photograph of himself. It reads, quote, Dat R is a markable semblance be shoe. That's a dead ringer for me. I never done see such a semblance. End quote. In 1893, an Ohio newspaper reporter more coherently writes, quote, Israel Williams wearing a wig would be no longer Israel, but would be a dead ringer for Wellington just before the Battle of Waterloo. End quote. All right. Today's episode was a short one, but I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast, because those really help the show grow. I'm on Twitter at, at @wordsforgranted and Facebook as Words for Granted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Again, you can support the show at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted or with a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.